0: Ohio State University Summer Quarter Commencement held Sunday, August 29, 2004, at the Jerome Schottenstein Center. 1,342 graduates received their diplomas. This quarter's commencement speaker is Lee S. Shulman, President of the Carnegie Foundation for the Advancement of Teaching.
1: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is my pleasure to welcome you to the 369th commencement of The Ohio State University. I am honored to preside at this important ceremony as this university bestows its academic degrees upon today's graduates. At each commencement, we invite a noteworthy individual to speak to our graduating class. And while it's always a pleasure to introduce this individual, it's even more so when the person hails from academia. Academicians tend to be more, the most memorable and inspiring of our commencement speakers, and today's speaker is no exception. Dr. Lee S. Schulman has built his career around teaching and teacher research, and without question is one of the nation's leading scholars in the field of education. He has been president of the Carnegie Foundation for the Advancement of Teaching since 1997. The foundation, created in 1905 by Andrew Carnegie, is a major national and international center for research and policy studies about teaching. Its mission is to address the problems that teachers face at all levels, how to succeed in the classroom, how best to achieve lasting student learning, and how to assess the impact of teaching on students. Ohio State has many ties with the foundation, including last year's invitation to participate in the Carnegie Initiative on the doctorate, called the CID, a multi-year research and action project aimed at improving doctoral education at American universities. The foundation selected six of our academic departments, chemistry, education, English, history, mathematics, and neuroscience to join a study of 15 partner departments around the country. Each partner department will analyze all aspects of their doctoral programs and link specific activities to desired outcomes. Dr. Schulman's work and thinking have had tremendous influence on teachers and researchers. Since 1990, he has collaborated on programs and research to strengthen the role of teaching in higher education. These studies have emphasized the importance of teaching as community property, and the central role of scholarship of teaching in support of the necessary changes in the cultures of higher education. Those themes are central to the mission of the Carnegie Foundation. From 1982 to 1997, Dr. Schulman taught at Stanford University, where he was the first Charles E. Ducamin Professor of Education. Prior to that, he was a professor of educational psychology and medical education at one of our sister schools, the Michigan State University, and also founding co-director of the Institute for Research on Teaching. He holds bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees from the University of Chicago. Dr. Schulman is a fellow of the American Academy of Arts and Sciences and past president of the American Educational Research Association. He also is a member of the National Academy of Education, having served both as vice president and president of that organization. He has received that organization's highest honor, the Career Development Award, for distinguished contributions to educational research. He is also the recipient of the 1995 E.L. Thorndike Award for Distinguished Psychological Contributions to Education from the American Psychological Association's Division of Educational Psychology. Dr. Schulman's research and writings have dealt with the growth of knowledge among those learning to teach, the assessment of teaching, medical education, the psychology of instruction in science, mathematics, and medicine, the logic of educational research, and the quality of teaching in higher education. As many of our graduates this quarter will earn PhD or education degrees and go on to careers in teaching, his insights will provide a wonderful closure to their educations at Ohio State. It is both my pleasure and my honor to introduce Ohio State's summer 2004 commencement speaker, Dr. Lee S. Schulman.
0: Thank you very much. Well, there are two places in the world where a procession is accompanied by frequent playings of the national anthem today. One is in Athens, and another is here. I uh, have a feeling that as I look across the graduates, and I think especially of the deeply relieved parents, spouses, and other family members in attendance, that the years that led up to this afternoon have in some cases seemed like a 400-meter dash. In other cases, they've been more like the steeplechase with its water water jumps and hurdles. And alas, in some cases, I think you may feel that this is the end of a marathon. But whichever of these may in fact apply to you, let me suggest that today is a day when each and every one of you is going to win the gold medal. And on behalf of all of us here who respect, admire, and love you, congratulations. Now, the graduates all receive very detailed sets of instructions about exactly how to march and in what order and what to do when. They're smiling. Uh, if you can, that's the final test to see if you get your degree. And it reminds me of a story I once heard about the uh, problems that occurred in the backwoods of Wyoming when there were a lot of grizzly bear sightings and the fish and wildlife folks had to put out a special bulletin for all people hiking in the backwoods, warning them against the dangers of grizzly bears. And uh, the instructions said that in order to make sure that you were not attacked by grizzly bears, it was important, first of all, to wear clothing with lots of little bells attached to the outer garments because the bells would ring, they're called bear bells, and they would forewarn the bears of your coming and they would leave. But just in case that didn't work, Uh, hikers were urged to purchase aerosol containers of pepper spray just to do the job if the bells were not sufficient. The the memo went on, and it said, uh, now it also is helpful when you're hiking to be able to tell the difference between black bears and grizzly bears in the vicinity. And you can tell the difference by making note of the droppings on the trail that you're hiking on. Black bears that are much less dangerous will leave small, highly symmetrical, round droppings. In contrast, grizzly bear droppings can be readily identified by the slight smell of pepper and a proliferation of small bells. Now... What makes a story like that funny? What makes it funny is what I want to talk about with you this afternoon. Because what makes any story funny is that it includes the unexpected. It includes a surprise. It includes something you didn't predict. And I'd like to suggest to you that it is precisely surprise the unexpected, the unpredictable, that may be the most important central feature of a good life. And we learn to appreciate surprise very, very early in our lives. One of the sweetest sounds I hear in this graduation and every graduation I attend is the lovely, sweet sounds of babies in the audience. Some of the graduates have been busy doing things other than writing, during the past few years. And what's the first game we play with every baby? What do we as adults insufferably do when we come into the company of a precious little infant? We start playing a universal game called peekaboo. And we sneak up on this poor unsuspecting little child and go peekaboo. And what happens the first time we do it? Yes, the baby bursts into tears, and we feel terribly guilty. But somehow, punctuating the tears is a little bit of a giggle, and then you realize that the baby wants you to do it again. And you go peekaboo again, and the baby cries again, and then invites you in. And before you know it, you're peekabooing on demand. It's a little bit like TiVo, and The baby now, in full control, is no longer crying, but is laughing uncontrollably. That, my friends, is the beginning of the nurturing of surprise. Maturation, growing up, can be seen as a process of learning not only to manage, but to plan a life that will include... A certain modicum of surprise, of the unexpected, of chance, of the unpredicted. And if you look at the history of so many of the fields in which you have all been trained, one of the things, one of the sayings that applies to most of our fields is that lovely saying that defines something called serendipity. And the saying is, Chance favors the prepared mind. So many extraordinary discoveries in our society have occurred because something happened by chance, something happened by mistake, something appeared to be a failure, but a prepared mind saw it for an opportunity to be exploited and built upon. Let me give a couple of examples Uh, at the 3M Corporation at the 3M Corporation a scientist was experimenting with trying to develop a new kind of glue and he laughed about the fact that he had created the perfect awful glue he had created a new kind of glue that didn't stick very well that could never dry and if you put it between two pieces of paper, all of it would stick to one of those pieces of paper and leave the other one unglued. Perfectly awful. It had none of the characteristics of a good glue. And they simply shelved it. Except one of his colleagues was a choir director and needed a way to put notes into his hymnal that would stick in the hymnal but wouldn't leave glue behind. And they realized that they had invented Post-its. They're ubiquitous throughout our lives. It was a failed experiment. And yet it was a prepared mind that saw that the failure was, in fact, the basis for an important new innovation. The truth is that they could get nobody to buy Post-its. They put them out a dollar a pack. Nobody would buy them, and so for a year, 3M gave them away by the millions, free. And a year later, all of us discovered that we couldn't live without them. Chance favors prepared minds. Let's take a more prominent, if you will, example. Louis Pasteur was doing research on cholera it was back in about 1870. And he realized that if you infected chickens with the germs from cholera, the germ notion was brand new at the time, you could give them cholera. And so he instructed one of his colleagues to take some old cholera cultures and infect some chickens so they could do research on them. Trouble was, the old cholera culture didn't work. The chicks got sick for a little while and then they were healthy again. Failed experiment. A month later, they got a new culture, much stronger culture of cholera, and Pasteur said to his assistant, infect a large group of chickens with cholera so we can study them. And by the way, be sure you use those other chickens in the failed experiment because we might as well use all the chickens we've got. And what did they discover happened? The chickens who had previously been in the failed experiment because they'd gotten the cholera strain that was old and weak, didn't get cholera. And Pasteur recognized that he had invented a vaccine against one of the most deadly diseases known to mankind. He later expanded that to anthrax, to other diseases, and it was the basis for much of what keeps the world healthy today. But it was an accident. It isn't only in mathematics, I guess, that two negatives can make a positive. Here were two failed experiments, but a prepared mind looked at them and found a positive finding. This, the lesson here, is a very straightforward lesson that is a uniquely American lesson. It's a a lesson of a nation that treats entrepreneurship and risk-taking as a virtue and not as a liability. And that is, there is no great shame in failure if you can learn from your mistakes. It is not for us to make a mistake, forgive and forget, but rather to make mistakes, forgive and remember because we have an obligation to learn from those errors. But being that kind of risk taker, seeking surprise, that alone isn't enough. At the heart of our work is the recognition that we are moral actors who are responsible for everything that we do. I was doing some studies with engineers a few years ago and I asked a group of them to define what an engineer was. And the definition they came up with was an engineer is somebody who uses math and the sciences to mess with the world. And then they added, and once you mess with the world, you're responsible for the mess you've made. Reminded me of the quote that Bob Woodward had of Colin Powell, saying to the President, remember the principle of Pottery Barn, you break it, you own it. The the recognition that you are being educated to take the kind of risks that will lead you to be capable of successfully messing with the world is terribly important. That's what The Ohio State University has prepared you to do as future teachers, as future scientists, as engineers, as nurses, as physicians, as scholars of literature and of biology. But never forget that once you start messing with the world, you are responsible for the mess that you've made and that, indeed, you have to plan your messing so you anticipate those messes well in advance so let me suggest three principles the first plan what you do very carefully but at the same time remain open to great surprises you never know when they're waiting do you realize that ten years ago if you were looking for information you couldn't google it Less than 10 years. If you had something to sell or to buy, there was no eBay you could use. You couldn't TiVo a TV program. I mean, just go on and on and think of the things that somebody within the last 10 years surprised us with. Who needed FedEx until we had it? And who can live without it now that we do? These are the kind of surprises of messing with the world that you are now capable of. But I assure you, they were planned carefully by people who are also open to surprise and the unpredictable. Take risks, but always learn from your failures. Don't be discouraged by them. If you don't fail, it will be much harder to learn. And finally, do mess with the world but do take responsibility for the mess you've made. Let me leave you with my favorite blessing. It comes from Shakespeare's last play, The Tempest. The Tempest is a wonderful play. As you may recall, it opens with this horrible storm and shipwreck. And the Castaways are thrown together on this island and have a whole series of adventures. And Prospero, a character that Shakespeare may have modeled after himself, at the end of the play is ready to bless his daughter Miranda and her loved one Ferdinand and send them back by boat on that same treacherous sea to the mainland where they can lead their lives. And the blessing that Prospero wishes for them is a very simple one that I wish for you. He wishes them calm seas, auspicious gales. He wishes them this optimal blend of stability and terror, of predictability and surprise, of the everyday calm and the auspicious shock of chance and innovation. That's the good life, my friend. That's what I wish for all of you, calm seas and auspicious gales. And if in that context you can take this mantle and mess with the world in ways that the world needs messing with, You will leave behind a legacy far more substantial than the whiff of pepper and a proliferation of small bells. Congratulations. God bless you all.
1: Graduates. Let me again welcome all of you to today's commencement that marks the completion of a major milestone in your lives. Your class, like each class before you, has left a mark on your university through the research in which you participated, the service you've contributed to our community, and the connections that you've made with peers, faculty, and staff at Ohio State. Today, you will begin the process of making your mark on the world beyond our campus. Some of you will remain in Ohio, others of you will disperse to locations across the globe. Beginning with our first graduating class in 1878, graduates of the Ohio State University have created a vast multi-generational Buckeye family that extends to every continent and brings expertise from countless fields of endeavor. Ohio State's reach and influence on all aspects of society is enormous, and you will add even more. As you leave the campus for the next stage of your life, I can assure you that no matter where you go, you will find evidence that Ohio State is there or has been there and is making a difference. Directly or indirectly, Ohio State graduates are creating knowledge, solving problems, and contributing to society. You can see the impact of Ohio State faculty, staff, students, and alumni wherever you look in Ohio, in the nation, in the world and even in outer space. Let me offer a few examples of Ohio State's influence in our own backyard, around the nation, the world, and even beyond. You'll find Ohio State making a difference in the neighborhoods of our university district. This year, on the back lawn of the Ohio Union, our students built a Habitat for Humanity house for a deserving Columbus family. The completed house was moved on June 5th to a lot in Wineland Park neighborhood near our campus. Over 200 students volunteered with the Ohio State chapter of Habitat for Humanity to build this house that will soon be enjoyed by a mom and dad and their children. You will find Ohio State technology making a difference in Florida. On August 13th, Hurricane Charlie devastated southwest Florida, destroying businesses and homes and knocking out power to the area and all means of communication except for the transportable satellite Internet system. TSIS and its integrated, interoperable technology that replicates landlines and cellular towers and provides multiple power sources. TSIS served as a communications lifeline for the insurance industry during recovery efforts. This technology is a product of Transportable Internet Inc., a spin off company from The Ohio State University. You will find Ohio State making a difference in Athens, Greece, where 12 current or former Ohio State student-athletes and coaches have been taking part in the 2004 Olympic Summer Games. Nine of them participated in men's swimming and gymnastics, fencing, synchronized swimming, track and field, and women's basketball. Three of our coaches worked in men's gymnastics, men's volleyball, and synchronized swimming and two others provided commentary in NBC's television coverage of the games. A total of 107 Buckeyes have, completed over, have completed, competed over time in the Olympics, and of course, none more famous than our own Jesse Owens. You will find Ohio State making a difference in Bosnia, where Professor David Frego from the School of Music spent his spring break. Professor Frego, an internationally known expert, on music movement therapy technique called Crow's Eurythmics worked with children suffering from the physical and psychological effects of war and trained Bosnian teachers so they could use the technique to help other children. You'll find Ohio State making a difference in Peru, where professors Lonnie Thompson and Ellen Mosley Thompson and their colleagues from our Bird Polar Research Center are studying the world's largest tropical glacier, Analyzing ice core samples and measuring the depth of the glacial lake allow our scientists to understand thousands of years of climate history and to predict future global climate trends. You'll find Ohio State making a difference in Africa. Cassava plants, which are the third most important food source in tropical countries, can trigger the production of cyanide when eaten. This chronic, low-level exposure to cyanide is associated with the development of a variety of of nerve-damaging disorders, and in some cases, death. Researchers in Ohio State's plant biology department developed a way to produce cyanogen-free cassava plants for subsistence farmers in sub-Saharan Africa. And Ohio State's influence is not limited to the Earth. You will find Ohio State making a difference in our solar system, Ohio State engineers developed the navigation software that is being used on NASA's Mars rover, Spirit and Opportunity, during their current Mars missions. And they've been asked to adapt that software to guide a new rover that NASA plans to deploy in 2009 with the Mars Science Laboratory. You'll find Ohio State making a difference in our our understanding of our galaxies and beyond. Scientists from our Department of Astronomy, in collaboration with the University of Arizona and international colleagues, participated in the construction of the Large Binocular Telescope, the world's largest and most powerful telescope on Mount Graham in Arizona. The telescope, which will capture first light in October, will have 25 times the light gathering power of the Hubble Space Telescope and allow us to see distant galaxies. With these very few examples of Ohio State's influence around the globe, I've really only barely scratched the surface. I could go on, but I recognize I'm the only thing standing between you and your opportunities to start making your mark on the world. Your Ohio State diploma represents the culmination of your education and your passport to the future. Thanks to the accomplishment of Buckeyes all over the world, Ohio State's presence extends far beyond our campus. Your Ohio State education has prepared you to carry forward this legacy, whether your future lies in Columbus, Florida, Purdue, or outer space. Congratulations to every one of you. Thank you for the mark you've made on Ohio State, and best wishes to all of you for a life filled with exploration, discovery, failure, and success and service. Thank you very much.